All right, uh, today we're going to continue in our journey through Scripture, and the very first image that I want you to get in your mind is uh, a set of paintings by Vincent Van Gogh, and so feel free to use your phone right now and, uh, and Google search this, but it was called Almond Blossoms, it's a series of paintings that he did, this would have been in, uh, from 1888 to 1890. This is close to the end of Van Gogh's life, and this would have been a huge accomplishment for Van Gogh. <laughs> yes, it's fine. That's really fine told me to do it, but I uh, I'm inviting you now to, to, to go and find it. It's called Almond Blossoms. Almond Blossoms, and it's by, uh, you know, world-renowned Vincent Van Gogh. And Give us a second find. The beautiful thing about this painting is it was created by Van Gogh near the end of his life. And if you know much about Van Gogh, you know that he struggled with mental illness um, throughout his entire adult life. So as he's, as he's painting this, um, it, is, it is also known in the art world that, that these images are images of peace and tranquility. I mean, if you were to look at it right now, uh, it, there, there is this deep blue or green that you're probably noticing. And, and he's been impressed uh, by these Japanese prints. He's a great admirer of the Impressionist style, as he's famous for doing landscapes. And so uh, this blue that's there that you see is, is heralded as is grounding. It's a calming color. And uh, I bring that image up right now because, again, uh, artists would say of these paintings that it is a sign and a symbol of rebirth and renewal and calming. And so I ask you today, what do you imagine whenever you think about calm and peace? You don't have to tell me out loud, but I want you to be thinking about that image that comes to your mind. For me, I'll tell you mine. Mine is uh, the beach. Mine is uh, getting as close as I can to the waves and just hearing the sound of it, seeing the beauty and the power and the colors, and it just gives me a calm and a peace that I can't even describe. Um, today in our journey through Scripture, <laughs> Second Thessalonians uh, is a little letter that the, the author is wanting to instill peace in this crowd that he's writing to. They need it. They need peace. They need hope. They need assurance. And uh, in a moment, when we look at our sample passage, we're going to be uh, talking about peace. But uh, before we do, let me try to give us a, 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 a quick narrative summary of just a book at large. There are only three chapters. Uh, it should only take you uh, eight minutes max, uh, probably more like four minutes to read it. And uh, in it, you'll notice that... Um, at 2 Thessalonians, word has gotten back to Paul. This rumor, he's in prison, uh, which has happened to him because he's arrested by saying there's another king in town, and that king's name is Jesus, it's not Caesar. Uh, he's been arrested for saying that and believing that, and so now he's writing letters to these different places in the Roman world where churches are springing up. Small churches like this one, believers, followers. And word has gotten back to Paul that the things that he addressed in his first letter to the Thessalonians are only worse. <laughs> and so he's writing in the second letter. There's a, there's a 
corresponding letter here, uh, they're going through more persecution. Persecution that they were going through in his first letter to them to encourage them, it's only intensified. Uh, thoughts about what's going to happen to uh, those of us who die before Jesus returns, there's increased fear about what's going to happen whenever Jesus returns. Are we going to all be left behind? Oh, no. Um, and so he's writing this letter to give them some uh, encouragement. Uh, so his design uh, focuses on um, these couple of main points in the book. Uh, the first one is hope despite persecution. Um, they're a religious minority. They're facing violent persecution just because of their faith. And he reminds them that their suffering is not going to last forever. Uh, when Jesus returns, Jesus is going to bring his peace on those who have oppressed them. Jesus' peace is coming. Jesus' judgment is coming. Uh, and then he also mentions that it's a tragedy that those people who wanted nothing to do with Jesus in this world, when Jesus returns, they get exactly what they wanted. They get exactly uh, just that. Um, there's there going to be relational distance from those people and their creator and king. Um, it's exactly what they wanted. That's the tragedy. Uh, Paul says that their suffering would, would bring about deep character. <laughs> their suffering that, that you and I go through at times, that, that, that God is up to something. Um, it's not just a world that's totally... Um, going to hell in a handbasket or totally out of control, but God mysteriously, way beyond our understanding, is up to something. And God is shaping us somehow in, uh, in the midst of our suffering. So that's the first thing. Second uh, theme is this coming day of the Lord. And so information has spread there in that city called Thessalonica uh, that Jesus has already returned. And you missed him. In fact, that's why there's so much chaos that we're going through is Jesus uh, came and he's, he's taken all the people that were truly believers and you all are left behind. By the way, that's not true. It wasn't true in Thessalonica, but there was a rumor going around. In fact, they were spreading the rumor in Paul's name that Paul was the one who was teaching that. That's why later in the letter he says, make sure that you check my signature on this letter. Look at that in chapter 3. Make sure that you see that it's me that's writing to you because Christ has not come back yet. And in fact, when he does, no one knows when that's going to be. So these folks in Thessalonica who are spiritually abusing you and manipulating you, making you fearful of this day of the Lord, that's something that a Christian should never experience regarding the coming of the Lord in the future. The coming of the Lord in the future, Paul is reminding us, uh, audience, as well as us, is that should create a lot of hope and confidence. Never fear. And oh my God, what if Jesus abandons me? What if I'm left behind? Um, so Paul is very angry about this. And so he, he quotes Isaiah for them, letting them know that the kingdoms of this world uh, will continue to produce rulers who exalt themselves above God. He's referring to uh, his own day there with the Roman emperors who's doing that. And he's also anticipating that it will continue uh, past uh, first, first century. And 
And so I, I believe he, he was quite prophetic, knowing, knowing that we too would be going through this. Uh, so a summary of Second Thessalonians is what you hope for shapes what you live for. Whatever it is that you're hoping for, whatever that might be for you and me, shapes exactly how you live your life. And he's wanting that audience to think in terms of like long term, like eternity. And uh, that should give them a lot of hope. Okay, our sample passage. Um, everybody understands 2 Thessalonians now. You can take an exam and you'd be good to go. More than information, uh, God is wanting to give us peace. And that's what we're going to look at here in this sample passage that I've chosen. It's just one verse. It's chapter 3, verse 16. No, it's not John 3, 16 that we're looking at. That's a wonderful verse. But this one is 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 16. It's printed there. I'll, I'll read it. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Okay, if you're uh, awake right now, you're asking peace in, at all times? <laughs> really? Peace in all circumstances or in every situation? So two uh, main points we have today is, is really the source of peace. We want to look at the source of peace that Paul is talking about. And then the sustainability of that peace. Um, a definition, first of all, of peace. Let's start, let's start here. There's all sorts of um, ways we can define this. Um, I, I won't waste your time trying to tell you. Uh, I'm sure that you have ideas of what peace may mean. According to the Bible, peace is this wholeness. It means a total health. Not just that one is uh, physically fit or, or, or one... Uh, is on the uh, Enneagram type one person who's full of peace and, and they're that way naturally but, but according to the Bible this is a total health it means to be complete like complete safety that's what peace is when you and I long for peace we're really wanting for not only my own surroundings but we're, we're longing for the entire world to be a safe place. It's, it's a totality in mind. It's a completeness is what the Bible has in mind when it refers to peace, not just a feeling. Um, complete rest. Think about that one. Um, rest mentally. Uh, any of us dealing with any, any type of uh, mental health issues, uh, imagine imagine complete and total wholeness and rest. That's what this word peace means. It's big. Uh, complete stability. It also means a right relationship between two parties. When there's not peace between you and a coworker, or you and a spouse, or you and a best friend, or right now there's not peace between humanity and uh, the environment. There's not peace between nations who are at war right now. True peace is this right relationship that's been established and can be enjoyed. Um, 
So, when we're reading this verse, and uh, you're going through a passage like this in Scripture, and you, and you read it, and it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times in every situation. What this means is God's peace is available to us in every situation. In fact, it does not mean that you and I will experience this peace all the time in every situation. You think about perhaps a situation that you're going through right now that seems uh, unjust, it seems out of control, it seems like there's no way that you can change what you're in, and uh, it doesn't mean that we're always going to experience this peace. Um, you'll hear lots of sermons that, that, that will tell you, if you just read your Bible enough, uh, you'll experience peace and you'll never, ever, ever have any anxiety again, ever, ever, ever. And uh, there are many of us right now in this room going, that's just not true. Um, let's look at the source. Let's look at the source of peace. Now, I want to start out by saying here under this point, the source of peace, that it's an easy sell, I believe, to convince everyone that we need peace. I don't think that's a hard sell. Conversations I've been in this week, conversations I've been in decades with people. I don't think it's a hard sell to agree with people in a conversation that we, as humans, need peace. There are bookstores full of corners, entire corners of the very bookstore devoted to books on peace. Uh, I, I won't even give some free marketing here to some of the products that are out there, uh, you know, to, to bring calm and tranquility. You can rub it on your skin, you can eat it, you can inject it, you can sleep with it. Um, we need peace. And uh, we're, we're sort of desperate to find it. And we're, we're really looking for it. Yes, in Ukraine. Yes, in the European world right now as we cry out for justice and peace. But also in your mind. And also in your heart. And things that you're going through. And so um, I, I want to say this, that where you get your peace from determines how robust it is. So we're all looking for it, was my premise. We all need it. But where you get it from determines how strong that peace is, how robust that, truth, that peace is, meaning not all peace is created equally. Flannery O'Connor, a wonderful writer, writes in a book of hers, the book is called A Good Man is Hard to Find. She says, Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead, and he shouldn't have done that. He'd thrown everything off balance. If he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do but throw away everything and follow him. And if he didn't, then it's nothing for you to do but enjoy the few minutes you got left the best way you can. Jesus is making a claim in the scriptures that he is the person of peace. Paul, in this, very, in this very letter, we just read that one verse there, our key verse today, verse 16. Uh, he's calling him the Lord of peace. You look at verse 16 there, the Lord of peace. And we know that therapy, we know that medicine has dramatically helped several of us. Uh, we, we know that. Uh, we're grateful for that. Um, Paul, um, 
perhaps maybe wasn't exposed to that in their era, as, as we are. Um, and so Paul isn't just recommending therapy and medicine, but also immersing ourselves in the promises that are in God's word to us. That we can immerse ourselves in that. That's a choice that, that, that we have the ability to make. Thinking of uh, Jesus here as the Lord of peace made me think about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, a very famous verse that we all recite and, and sing and uh, talk about during the Christmas season. During the Christmas season, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, referring to this promised king and Messiah who's going to come, refers to this promised king as the Prince of Peace. He says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. If you just stop right there as you meditate on that verse, that influences your experience of peace, by the way. And he will be called, that is Jesus, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You've got to understand that Paul, as he's writing this, his whole purpose is to help these people be oriented to know that there are some events that's taking place uh, prior. Uh, Christ has uh, indeed been crucified. He, he's, he's risen from the dead. Uh, and then in the future, Christ is coming back to make all things right, yet you live in between the already and the not yet. Ouch. That's why our lives are full of frustration, uh, hunger, uh, this longing and search for peace. And so he's trying to encourage them that things do not operate in the way that they should operate. <laughs> things don't work the way that they're supposed to. There's lots of mysteries going on here in this world, in, in, our, in our lives. Temptations galore. And so the ultimate comfort that he can give them is to remind them of this peace that can somewhat be experienced now, but ultimately that they can experience when Christ returns. That the very peace that you really, really, really want, that sadly in this life we ultimately won't get to experience, that is coming. That is coming. Even when you don't feel this peace. That's the pushback. I was speaking with a friend of mine this week and kind of tossing this idea of this talk out to his friend. And, uh, you know, the, I, I guess the pushback right here is uh, I, don't, I don't feel this peace. I don't feel it. I want to feel it. I want to feel it. Especially when we say, Lord, I'm not feeling it. Anybody ever prayed that? <coughs> You're in the midst of a storm. You're in the midst of something really hard. There's a deadline. There's something coming up that feels utterly stressful. Or there's some loss that you're going through and you just aren't feeling it. I think the encouragement here, as simple as it may sound, is to ask God for peace. Have we ever tried that? Again, not trying to be super simplistic here. But in the next time you and I are at that crossroads of immense instability, and I mean in a storm, and it's raging, and we are looking for peace, because we all are, we're human, asking God for peace. Slow, 
I think Lucas and Erica were singing and leading us in song a few moments ago, just that simplicity of breathe, to literally pause and say, God, I'm not experiencing peace right now. Your will for me in Christ Jesus is to experience it. And so I'm asking you for it. I'm asking you for peace. Versus trying to figure things out on our own. I think a lot of us are, are really good at that one, really gifted at that one. I'm going to try my best to figure it all out. It's that midnight hour of re-worry about things. You've already gone through the to-do list. You've checked it twice. You've gone through all the details. So you think. And it's on loop. That's a great moment to acknowledge the loop that's going on and saying, Lord, something happened inside of me and obviously, Lord, I'm not experiencing your peace right now. Let, let, let me, I need your peace. Give me your peace. Uh, another key verse that could be attached here would be Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord. That's where peace is really going to come from. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding about how things ought to go. Lean not on your own abilities to get things done. It says, acknowledge your way to God or your lack of peace to God. And God will make your paths straight. Again, in this life, not a perfect straight. Not a perfect experience. Not as verse 16 would make someone believe at all times and in every situation perfectly. There will be moments where we don't experience that. Let's move on here to, this, to the sustainability of, of this piece. Where you get your peace from determines how long it lasts. On our first point, we said where you get your peace from determines how robust that peace is or how much you can really depend on that trust. In the sustainability of peace, we're saying where you get your peace from determines how long it's going to last. There's an expiration date on all pieces that are being offered to us. There really is. It's fine print for sure. Peace at all times in every situation. Really? We say, yeah, I'll have some peace when work settles down. But it never does. We say, I'll have some peace when I can finally get on vacay. Something springs up on vacay, like an email. <laughs> or something. We say, I'll have some peace when I get my peace in the pot. I'll have some peace when I get noticed at work, when I get that promotion. And I'm drawn back here to uh, St. Augustine's uh, writing. St. Augustine's writing. Um, he's writing a letter to a woman who asked him how to pray. And St. Augustine is replying to this woman, uh, trying to answer her questions about prayer. And he says, before you can know how to pray, must become a particular kind of person. You must account yourself desolate in this world. However great the prosperity of your lot may be, your mask has been taken off. You finally see, no matter how great your talents, 
how great your gifts or your accomplishments, they can never bring you the, here's the key word, lasting joy and lasting peace that can only be found in Christ. He's hitting on something huge. He's hitting on the sustainability of peace. Um, again, the products we may purchase, uh, the beach that I love to go to, those things are wonderful to uh, help us experience that peace. But uh, unbridled uh, peace that can't be taken away from us, a sustainable peace, Jesus is that only source. How else can we say it without getting just a bottom line there? Jesus is that source. I'm drawn back to Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. This was a memory verse of mine years ago. I encourage you with this one, perhaps, to put it to memory. It says, God will keep you in perfect peace. In fact, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in Him. So again, the peace that you and I experience in this world will not be perfect in that sort of way. But the moments chapters of our lives where we do experience peace, it's because God is keeping us in peace for those whose minds are steadfast because they're trusting in the Lord. When mind and your peace runs out, when it doesn't feel sustainable, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. It's not shame like, oh man, I did it once again. I'm, I'm supposed to be peaceful. I love how Paul never says in this verse, go find some peace. Work really hard to carve out some peace for yourself. doesn't say that. It's like he's greeting them. He's closing his letter out, by the way, in chapter 3, because that's where we're at. And he's wanting to remind them of where this peace is coming from. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace. It's not something that I'm doing. This is not a to-do list. And once again, if it's still a little fuzzy about what it even means about peace, like what are we even talking about? According to the Bible, it is, it is spiritual well-being. It is spiritual wholeness and calmness. A total well-being of one's spirit and soul that comes to those who are walking with Christ. It's not because they're great. It's not because they have a lot of great practices or habits or religion that they're following. But it's walking intimately with Christ. And the intimacy is, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your peace. Not a, I got the peace. I got the peace. In this season of Lent, now, if you're reading through scripture right now in any of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is a great thing to do during this Lenten season. Because during Lent, we're thinking of Christ who's headed towards the cross and why he was going towards the cross. And what's at stake? Uh, I found that again this week, John chapter 14. It's amazing. John chapter 13, he washes their feet. He's letting them know he, come, he came as a leader to serve them. Not to uh, be a power monger among them, but to serve them and love them. 
chapter 14, he starts telling them, um, actually, I'm going to the cross. And they're like, what? You're going to abandon us? You're going to leave us as orphans? What is this? What do we sign up for? And chapter 14, verse 27, he says, I leave you with a gift, however. Peace of mind. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give you. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. There's the peace right there. He's saying, I am that peace that I'm giving you. Not just a feeling that's going to come and go. Or this old hymn. I remember uh, growing up in church hearing this old hymn. I haven't heard it in a long time. Of what a friend we have in Jesus. Are you familiar with this, this hymn? But there's one lyric that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Again, not shame. Like, oh, you shouldn't have. You should pray more. But an invitation. It's an invitation. It's actually a choice of saying, I'm going to carry around all of this weight today. Get it all done. Try to appear as though I have it together. Or I'm going to call out to God for peace in the middle of what I'm going through. A quick application here that comes up is to pray your concerns. When we say go pray about it, what in the world does that mean? Pray your concerns. What is it that concerns you? Whatever it is that concerns you actually matters to God. It's not like you have concerns over here and God has concerns over here, but we're to pray our concerns. Again, this is that late night hour when we're about to fall asleep. Nobody's looking at us and we're in a very quiet, private space in those moments, right? This is a wonderful time to pray those concerns. Once again, versus the constant loop of worry. Once again, the loop. And then we'll just keep going. And it's so exhausting. And the rest and the completeness and the wholeness of what this word peace actually means is what I believe Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 is trying to get after. Uh, I'll quote it from the message translation. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. That's what needs to be on repeat. Because the worry, the lack of peace, will show up again. And yet another opportunity to meet Christ intimately in that moment. In conclusion, here in verse 16, the last words of our verse says, the Lord be with you all. The Lord be with you all. So one final image of peace through another painting. We started with a famous painting of Vincent van Gogh and we closed with one here by Rembrandt. Christ in the storm is the name of this one. Beautiful, powerful as Rembrandt in 1633 is depicting not only Jesus and that famous story in the Gospels of Jesus calming the storm, but 
how the disciples are reacting in the middle of a story. And so if you're looking at this painting uh, right now, you'll see different disciples and how they're reacting, and, and, and you'll see yourself somewhere in that picture. There's the doers, you know, they're, they're running around making sure the sail is, is tight. And, um, there's those that are very articulate and, and they're wanting to make sure Jesus is going to do something about this. And there's someone who's hurling, just vomiting over the side of the boat because the anxiety is just, it's just too much. The storm is just raging. And I believe somewhere there in, in the painting, Rembrandt has someone just Lying at Jesus' feet, just saying, we can't get ourselves out of this mess, this fix. Please, Lord, give us your peace. And Jesus, in all power, and in all gentleness, calmness, speaks to the storm. How mysterious. And the storm obeys Jesus. What a beautiful metaphor that uh, that is for us, the reality of the storms. And just a quick reminder uh, as we close here that, that Jesus really is in the boat with you. Let's pray right now. Oh Lord, we, uh, Lord Jesus, as, as we all know, we need you, uh, not just a feeling of peace. We need you, the very source of peace, the very person of peace. Give us your peace. We just humbly ask you right now, we need your peace. We need you. Help us walk with you and experience your peace. And then future-oriented, we pray, come Lord Jesus, return to this world and bring peace that you promised.